0: Thank you to my readers, my friends. It's so good to be here tonight with you all. I love the chaos up here. It really helps me feel better about the chaos of my own parenting life. Um, And uh, my name is Jess Archer. If I don't know you, please say hi to me afterwards. Um, I'm married to B. Sterling who does the music here in front and we have two kids, Ace who's six and Iris who's three. And David is helping me to sort of flesh out and realize some public speaking skills here. So he's given me another opportunity to speak to you today. So I've titled my talk on Nehemiah 4 as When the Strength of the Laborers Gives Out, Then What? Not if the strength of the laborers gives out, but when it does. Then what? So the gist of Nehemiah 4 is this. When the strength of the laborers gives out and they're surrounded by the rubble of their failures, sins, Evil in the world, how will we be the church for one another? And how will we cry out to the Lord? So, before we look deeper into the chapter that my friends just read, I want to just quickly, very quickly, review chapters two and three that David talked about the last couple weeks. In chapter two, Nehemiah assesses the damage to the wall in Jerusalem. Like the Israelites, we have Also have a way of making peace with the broken areas of our lives. We say things like, oh, it's just the way things are, you know, that relationship's really screwed up, you know, whatever. We kind of make peace with things. But to be honest, we really need true assessment about what in our lives needs to be restored. Chapter three is Nehemiah's strategy. He gives, we need to have ownership for restoring our lives, starting with the needs nearest our homes. With restoration, David reminded us, proximity matters. Whether we're the one helping other people or we're the ones needing help, we need people who live around us. We need people in our community, right? We need to be helping those in our community. We need to be looking for ways to help in our Austin community. So now chapter four, here we are. And the Jews are rebuilding the wall, and they're working at it, as my friend Anita read, they're working at it with all their hearts, it said. And I so relate to this wording, working at it with all their hearts, because it's so true. We work at something really noble in our lives, like uh, we work at our marriages. We're working hard at it, making it work. We're working at relationships with family members, and we're we're excited about the progress because we see progress, right? We're, our energy is up. We have zeal for the work. We're excited. We work at things with all our hearts. And as married to a musician, I'm an, a writer. We work at artistic projects that point to the Lord. We work at them with all our hearts. And then thing, thing that thing or that relationship gets threatened. It happens all the time. A mocking, jeering, kind of threatening sandballat comes in, right? Um, In the same way, we make mistakes because we're human, or we make simple choices in those relationships, or we allow past failures and guilt and regret to creep in, and suddenly we find ourselves weary and sapped of strength as laborers, just like the laborers in the scripture in Nehemiah 4. We look around, and all we see is rubble, And we're overcome with discouragement again. And we feel isolated and exposed and without a plan. I don't know if you can relate, but I definitely can. And it's perfect that today was Child Dedication Sunday because the area where I can really relate to that discouragement is in the area of parenting these days. So um, that's the area where I feel most vulnerable to fear and guilt and regret and isolation, parenting. So um, because I'm a writer, uh, I kind of wrote a little stream of consciousness piece here called A Day in the Life of a Weary Parent. Listen, maybe you can relate. 6.15 a.m., alarm, no way. Snooze, 6.25, alarm again. Oh, my gosh, I can't get up. Mommy, is it time to get up? Mommy! Insistent voice from the other room. I'm, st- I'm up, stumbling for the door. I'm coming. Get six-year-old dressed. I hate this shirt. It feels itchy. I don't want to go to school. It's so hard. I know, I know. I'm sorry. Now the three-year-old. I wet my bed, mommy. Can I wear my tutu again today? Sure, wear the tutu. Let out the dog. Let the dog back in. Feed the dog. Pour my coffee. Feed the kids. Pack the lunches. Scramble for jackets because it's suddenly cold out. This jacket is scratchy, Mommy. Where's my coffee? Did I drink it? Get myself dressed, the three-year-old clinging to my leg. Where did I put that coffee? Too late. Time to go. We're out the door. It's a miracle, and we're running late. Austin traffic. From the backseat, Mommy, where does God live? Mommy, what does dead mean? (laughs) Try and answer theological questions while maneuvering traffic on Mopec at 7.30 a.m. I really need that coffee. (laughs) To daycare, hugs, kisses, clinging, don't go. Regrets about leaving, regrets about working, regrets about yelling last night. (sighs) The long, quiet ride to work. (sighs) The quietest part of my day, I should pray. Oh wait, I have things to do while driving, hands-free phone calls to make. Call dentist, make an appointment, shoot, I need to schedule that parent-teacher conference. Call spouse, did you pay that one bill? We should probably have a date night, bye. Go to work, put on my teacher hat for three hours, be an adult, be an expert, be available. Back in the car, long drive, back to daycare, home for lunch. Read books to the three-year-old, nap time. She dives for her bed. Yes. Now I can get some cleaning, cooking, reading, writing, phone calls, emails, prayer, finally done. But instead I just take a nap. Wake up feeling bad for napping. Then it's off to school to pick up the first grader. He's grumpy, he's hungry, he's discouraged about academics. Lord, how do I help this child? Home, snacks, bike rides at the park. Good job, you're doing it, great riding. Mommy, what's for dinner? Oh my gosh, I forgot to go to H-E-B. Okay kids, pancakes for dinner. Family holding hands while we pray for the meal, homework, tears, hugs, encouragement. Bath time, books, prayers at the bedside. Close their doors, full of love, full of worry, full of regret, discouragement, hope, longing. A parent's cry to the Lord, Nehemiah 4.10. The strength of the laborers is giving out. (laughs) So that is how I relate to the laborers in Nehemiah 4 these days. As weary laborers at the task of parenting or at any other good endeavor that builds up the kingdom of the Lord, what does Nehemiah 4 have to tell me by way of encouragement? Well, When I look at the first part of verse 14, it says this, it says, Nehemiah says, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. So here's something I know for sure, okay? When I spend time in worship, in our collective worship here, or in those little tiny moments I get alone, when I spend time in worship, dwelling on the character, character traits of the Lord, my perspective shifts. My perspective on all that stream of consciousness stuff I just read, it shifts. But it's an act of trust. It's an act of faith to actually spend time dwelling on the character traits of the Lord. He is awesome. He is great. It takes a leap of faith to, like, press pause on that looping, Thing that we all do, that obsession with ourselves, that obsession with me, right? To press pause and say to myself, I'm going to dwell on the character of the Lord and not on me in this time. So that's the first thing Nehemiah tells us to do by way of encouragement when we are weary, dwell upon the character of God. And the second part of verse 14 says, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And this is where nehemiah describes how we are to be the church how we are to be the church a critical way that god provides strength and protection is through a faith community spiritual and relational isolation is never part of god's plan now this is new to me i'll be honest i grew up moving around all the time as a child and i had no idea what the term church home meant literally had no clue what that meant and in my 20s, I did the whole, just me and God in our, my quiet time. Just never joined a church. I was just like, just me and my devotions. That's all I need, right? Never had like this, then this. <laughs> None of that. And I didn't even think I needed it. I was, and probably because I didn't have as many needs in my 20s. <laughs> I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I, wasn't, I didn't have a job. I wasn't feeling as much pressure for the need of others to come around me right? I was still kind of under the care of my parents in a way. So now, you know, late 30s, I started to really realize I need people. I am so isolated in parenting. And my marriage, it, it feels threatened all the time, all the time. I need to see other people who've been married a lot longer than me and are making it, you know? I need to know how they're making it. I need to be able to sit down and be like, give me some tips, you know? Um, so that is why we need each other. We need our faith community. I love verse 20. It said, Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. The sound of the trumpet is a call to stay current in each other's lives. Standing appointments in our worship here and in our tribes is so critical. Allowing people to see you, see you in season and out of season, in weariness and in strength. This is so hard for us because embedded in our American subconscious is this whole look out for number one mentality. But honestly, the flip side of that, the flip side of look out for number one is isolation, isn't it? If I'm the only one who can and wants to meet my needs, then I'm also the only one who I have when weariness and trouble overtake me, right? The whole lookout for number one is a trap of isolation. Our postmodern culture does not naturally celebrate community. We have to, as believers, learn it. We have to learn to sound a trumpet or hear a subtle cry from each other. We have to learn a new way of being the church to each other. In serious matters like our marriages and our relationships, our health, when we're struggling with depression, when we're struggling in parenting, we need to cry out to sound a trumpet and say, I'm flagging over here, I'm weary. Help, it's such a hard word to say, isn't it? So one of my favorite writers, or I, I would probably say the, the writer I quote most often is Anne Lamott. Maybe some of you have read some of her books. Probably her most famous book is Traveling Mercies, which came out about 20, 22 years ago or so. And I've read just about everything she's written and this um, book is called help thanks wow that's the title and she calls help thanks and wow the three great prayers right and um, today we're really talking about help crying out for help as weary laborers so here's what she says in this book about help she says there's freedom in hitting bottom and seeing that you won't be able to save or rescue your daughter, her spouse, his parents, or your career. Relief in admitting you've reached the place of great unknowing. This is where restoration can begin. Because when you're still in the state of trying to fix the unfixable, everything bad is engaged. The chatter of your mind, the tension of your physiology, all the trunks and wheel-ons you carry from your past, it's exhausting, crazy-making. Help. Help us, Lord. Help us walk through this. Help us come through. It is the first great prayer. Help us. Help us cry out for help, Lord. Help us sound the trumpet when we grow weary. And finally, friends, we have seven rhythms that kind of guide our life here at Mission Hills. I actually um, cut my mine. It's a bookmark, all right? I keep it in a lot of... Use the seven rhythms, and I put it in books I'm reading. It helps me remember the seven rhythms. And one of the rhythm that we're talking about here today is community. That's what I'm talking about. Community, because faith is supposed to be shared and practiced with others. Right? In verse 13, Nehemiah said he posted guards in exposed places of the wall. By families, raising our children in the gospel requires community effort verse 21 when you hear the sound of the trumpet join us there our god will fight for us as david has often reminded us week after week in the study of nehemiah spiritual and relational isolation is never a part of god's plan for us as believers we need to spend time worshiping the lord together and remembering that he is great and awesome pressing pause on that looping obsession with myself Feasting on the character traits of the Lord, and we need to rely on each other when our strength as laborers gives out. Not if it gives out, but when. Join each other in the work of kingdom restoration. Thank you. Would you pray with me? Father, I am probably the most likely person in this room to drift toward isolation. I think that it's just better if I work things out by myself. But to be honest, when I do that, the rubble surrounds me, the rubble of failures and regrets and sins. And I am very much unable to keep at the work of restoration, like the people building the wall. We need each other, Lord, and we need a plan. Help us, Father. Help. Help us reach out to one another and admit where we are so weak where there's exposed places in our lives, like the wall in Jerusalem. And Father, would you um, help us in all the endeavors today that we've already seen parenting, Lord, how hard it is to raise our children in fear and knowledge of you. Would you just come alongside us and have mercy and help? And would you help us in our marriages, Lord, and in our, um, in, in our family relationships and our friendships? Um, be near us, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.